And please turn in your Bibles uh, back to chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew. We noted last Lord's Day that this uh, whole chapter, or almost all this chapter, really holds together as a unit, but we're, uh, for the sake of getting a little deeper into it, uh, dealing with uh, pieces of it, but uh, keep in mind, this is all part of uh, one major section of teaching that Jesus has uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, so I'm going to read for our text this morning uh, through verse uh, 23. We're going to focus in on uh, the parable of the sower in the first part of uh, that section and then Jesus' interpretation in the last part. So let's hear this day uh, God's word to us. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. Hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, 
This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The book of Revelation, John records letters from Jesus to seven churches in Asia Minor, and each one includes in its, in its conclusion words very similar to that admonition we heard in Matthew 13. In the book of Revelation, we read repeatedly, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, let me just point out a, a couple of things that are worth noting there. One is that Jesus is telling the churches, you heard there, that his words to them are the words of the Holy Spirit. When one member of the Trinity speaks, they all speak. They speak as one. Now, in your study of Scripture, maybe you, as, as I do, I often uh, color code narrative sections to uh, highlight uh, the narration part uh, and different speakers. So that helps me to think about the flow of the passage and the movement of the dialogue. Uh, some Bibles, you may have a Bible that, that prints the words of Jesus in red ink. And, and those can be helpful learning devices, but we want to remember all the text is the Word of God. All of the Bible is inspired by, by God. So we, we might say then that, that this admonition of Jesus here, he who has ears, let him hear, that's a good one for us to hear, sort of have in the back of our minds every time we read the scripture or we hear it read. Every time we recall a verse that we've memorized or think about a passage that that we've read. Uh, whenever God's word presents itself to you, in whatever form that is, written or, or audible, uh, you do well to ask yourself, do I have ears? Okay. Do, I've got, do I have my ears on right now? Am I listening? Am I hearing? And of course, that, that word hearing brings that meaning of understanding and believing and obeying it as well. Uh, so we, we saw the importance of that question last Lord's Day when we considered the assertion that Jesus made in verses 11 to 17. Jesus told his disciples that when he spoke parables to the people of that generation, sadly, it was in the form of a judgment because they were refusing to hear they, they had refused his message. Look back for a moment to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, no, 15. That's the first time he uses that expression. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus has just told the, the crowds that the law and the prophets have come to their climax with John the Baptist. Okay, and, and that he is... Elijah. He is the forerunner to the Messiah. He, he has, has told them that plainly. And yet he goes on to say, but you have refused to listen to John or to me when we have preached repent. And so they didn't 
have the ears to hear. And Jesus went on to denounce the cities and the, the people of Galilee there that had seen so many of his miracles and said, you're going to be worse off than the pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom because you've refused to see what was right in front of you. Now, despite the negative connotation of that, remember Matthew chapter 11 ended on a positive note. So we want to make sure we notice that as well. Uh, look at the ending that Jesus uh, gives in verse 25 and following in, in chapter 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. That, that's all those who thought they knew it, thought they, thought they knew best and rejected his word. You've hidden it from them, he says, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What a tragic irony. The majority of that generation, in rejecting Jesus and refusing to hear his message of repentance and refusing to believe the, the miracles that they saw with their own eyes and refusing to understand his clear preaching that he was the Messiah, and the preaching of John the Baptist, that he was the lamb to take away the sins of the world. In spite of all that, they, they failed to get that wonderful message at the end of the chapter, didn't they? And Jesus said, but the little children will get it. In other words, those who humble themselves, like little children, will hear my call. And those who, who understand that they're weighed down with burdens, that they're weary from labor, they'll find in me rest. So keep that in mind as we go back to chapter 13 then and, and think about the contrast between those who refuse to hear who seem so often to be in the majority, and those who do hear, those who are like little children. I mean, Jesus is really drawing that contrast with this parable. So, so in, in a way, we could say this parable is, is bringing our attention to this principle and calling us to hear him say, if you've got ears, listen. So, let's look at the parable of the sower, as it's called, which uh, has often been pointed out. Uh, we, could, we could call it uh, the parable of the soils, because that's where the focus of Jesus' attention is. So, we're going to go back and forth between the uh, telling of the parable in verse uh, 3 and following, and his interpretation in verse 18. And let's, let's, start, uh, let's start right there in verse 18. Look at what he says there. 
Hear then the parable of the sower. The, there's an emphatic you here that it doesn't come across in, in the English too well. Literally says, you hear the parable of the sower. I, I think we're just supposed to understand it that way. Listen, I'm about to give it to you. Okay, that's what he's saying to them. Now, now notice, we, we saw that theme of not understanding that Jesus emphasized in, in verses 11 and following, the, the lack of understanding of those who refuse to hear his word. Notice what we're going to see as we look in the interpretation here that, that the disciples get understanding because they come to Jesus. Okay, don't, don't miss that. They're humble enough to come to Jesus, not only in this occasion, but on others, and say, we don't get it. <laughs> we don't understand what you just said. And indeed, all the way through the Gospels, we see them constantly misunderstanding. They, they, they fail sometimes really catastrophically, really, we look back and think, how could, they, how could they do that? How could they say that? But give them credit. They kept coming to Jesus, even when they didn't have all the answers. You, you will not be disappointed if when you lack understanding, you keep coming back to Jesus. You keep going to his word. On one occasion, Jesus says to the disciples, it's, it's a sort of, it's in a turning point. A lot of the crowds that have seen his miracles, that have benefited personally from the miracles, have left off following him. His teaching got too tough. They couldn't understand it. And they didn't like it. And so they left. And there's that poignant scene where Jesus turns to the disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And Peter, speaking for all of them, says, Lord, and it's interesting, he doesn't say, oh, we like your message. <laughs> he doesn't say, oh, we understand it very well. He doesn't say even, well, we've really got it great as your disciples. He just says, Lord, where else would we go? <laughs> I mean, you almost think he's saying, well, I guess we don't have an option. <laughs> but then he goes on to say, you have the words of life. We may not understand them all the time. We may have trouble when you're talking about some of the subjects you talk about, but we know in you there is life. There is life in God's word. Don't get discouraged in your in your difficulty understanding, keep coming back to God's word. That's what he's saying. And so verse 19, we've got the difference then between those who don't understand and those who do understand. The disciples are in that category of understanding. They, they don't understand it completely. Okay, but they, they're in that category. And so he contrasts them then with, first of all, that seed along the path. If you glance back at at uh, verse 4, as the sower sowed, the farmer sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came 
and devoured them. In ancient Palestine, they, they don't have fences, they don't have mechanized uh, agricultural uh, implements like we do t today. Everything is done by hand. And they're, they're really sort of casual about boundary lines in a sense, okay? And you, you might own a field that has a path going right through the middle of it. Everybody's always taking that shortcut, and they're going to, and, and you don't wall that off, okay? You, you allow them to do that. It's, would be, it would be really a, a great violation of, of custom to, to, do, to try to block off that path so you don't have it going through your field. And so this, as a farmer sows his field, he just goes across the field, and some of the seed inevitably falls on the hard-packed ground. And the birds, uh, who always seem to show up when you're sowing seeds quickly, they eat that, eat that seed along the path quickly. And so the, the, the first contrast, contrast that Jesus makes between those who hear and receive it and those who do not is here. Uh, so now go, and, go to verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. The word of the kingdom. Don't miss that. That's the gospel he's been preaching. There are those out in the crowds that have heard as, as clearly as could be, a person could make it known Jesus' message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they haven't listened. Okay? They're like this hard-packed soil. The word of the kingdom, the word of God. Okay, let's, let's bring this interpretation up to date. The word of God. The word of God falls into some minds. They hear it. Or they read it, and it doesn't connect. It doesn't connect because they don't grab it. Okay? They're not truly listening. For them, as we've already noticed, the parables are a form of judgment. So here's the first lesson that uh, Jesus is giving his disciples and, and us. Are we receiving the truth of the gospel when we hear it? Are we receiving God's word? Are we accepting, are we humbling ourselves before it? Okay, there are parts of God's word that are going to be tough for you to hear. That they, they touch on a sore spot in your heart. That they, they challenge you in a hard and difficult way. And the temptation is going to be for you to seal off your mind from those to skip over them, to not pay attention to them. There are lots of people, sadly, who read their Bibles the way Thomas Jefferson did. You know, you've probably heard of how Thomas Jefferson went through the Gospels and he physically cut out with scissors all the parts that he didn't think Jesus really said. <laughs> now, very rarely do people actually physically cut it out of the book, but often they mentally Cut it out. Certain parts we just skip over. Don't, don't do that. This is also a warning against being distracted from the word, isn't it? We live in a, in a, in a culture that is full of distractions. 
And, and that's a ploy, as, as Jesus implies here, that's a ploy of Satan. Satan does his best to distract you from really hearing God's word. And so you're going to have to work to overcome that distraction. Now, there are, there are a lot of helps out there for you in that. Uh, a, a regular routine of reading through Scripture can be very helpful to you. It, it, will, it will keep you coming back day by day uh, to passages of Scripture, and it will take you through passages that you might not normally read if you do that. Uh, recordings of the Bible are available today. Maybe you're one of those people that it helps you to hear it as, as well as see it or to, to listen to someone else reading it. You, could, you might want to try the ancient custom of reading aloud. It wasn't until the, the, printing, the invention of the printing press uh, that, that people began to read silently. Custom always before that was you read aloud even if you were by yourself. And, and there's actually a value to that because when you're reading aloud, you'll actually notice things that you would not notice if you were, if you were reading silently. Uh, so you might want to try reading aloud to yourself or to someone else. Of course, memorizing and meditating on Scripture, that's another way to, to break up that hard soil inside you and, and get the Scripture in to do its wonderful work. Well, the next soil, going on to... Uh, Verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground. Uh, the, the image here actually is of, of a thin layer of soil on top of a ledge. So it looks okay. It, it looks all right on the surface. But it doesn't give the plants root space. Okay? So Jesus describes that in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately, notice the word immediately in his description here, by the way, receives it with joy. It, it looks like he's got it. Okay, he, he appears to have listened and, and, and understood it. But, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, there's a word again, he falls away. He seems to be quick to receive it, but he is just as quick to drop it when the going gets tough. And that, that's the test of this soil, isn't it? Uh, the first word that Jesus uses here for hardship is tribulation, often translated tribulation, and, and that's a, a term that, that really covers affliction and trouble in, in a whole wide range of forms, not ju just one. So, so, so it's that uh, physical injury or sickness, emotional distress resulting from various sources, the suffering that comes with grief, okay, those are, those are tribulation. We, we all encounter them. It's an it's inevitable part of reality in a fallen world. And, and we see examples of people suffering that, of course, in, in Scripture as well. Think of Joseph, sold into slavery by his own brothers, and, and then falsely accused and thrown into dungeon in a foreign land. Or, or think of Daniel and his friends, probably just young teenagers, when they're forced marched to, to Babylon and exiled uh, Made, made bureaucratic servants of the state there in Babylon for the rest of their lives. Tribulation comes 
into lives. You've known tribulation, I'm sure. I'm sure you've known troubled times if you've lived long at all. Uh, so that's one thing that causes people to fall away. And then Jesus, the second kind of hardship that Jesus mentions is a hardship that comes with persecution. And, and that's been a common experience for most believers throughout the centuries. Uh, he specifies persecution notice. Persecution arises on account of the word. Okay, Peter warns us, now it doesn't count as persecution if you're punished for doing something wrong. Okay? So you kids, when you get spanked by your dad for doing something wrong, you can't say you're being persecuted. Okay? <laughs> that doesn't qualify. No, it's, it, it's persecution for the sake of of the kingdom. So Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? He's speaking to servants here. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. You've been called to persecution, he's saying there. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And he elaborates on that example. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Notice he, he's saying, keep an eternal perspective in the midst of persecution in this world. Okay, remember that your case is going to be decided ultimately before the judge of all the earth. Uh, Peter, of course, uh, knew, knew by painful experience how easy it was to give in when you're relying on your own strength. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where he professes there and at the Last Supper, he, he tells Jesus, I'll, I'll stand by your side all the way. I'll be there. I'll, I'll stick up for you. I, I'll stay with you. And then you know, the night's not even done before he's denying that he even knows Jesus. So Peter knows that if you rely on your own strength, you're setting yourself up for a fall. So he tells us, put our confidence in the power of God. He does it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you hear there how faith transforms that hardship? Okay, that hardship that in the case of one who fails to believe causes them to fall away, for the believer becomes an experience of confirming their faith. So think about that as you encounter hardship, as you perhaps encounter some form of persecution, 
for your faith. Remember that God is working in you to show the preciousness, the value of your faith. And he will, he will boast of that. That's what he's doing when, he, when he's boasting about Job, isn't it? Saying to the accuser, have you seen my servant Job? And I, the Lord delights in the perseverance of his saints. And, and so as Peter points out here, he gives us the power to endure that hardship. And then he rewards us for enduring. <laughs> he enables us. And then he rewards us for what he has enabled us to do. So be encouraged. Be encouraged that, that hardship and trial does not have to have the last word in your life, but you can overcome it in the strength of the Lord. Well, the third category that falls away is, is that of the thorns. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And Jesus defines those thorns in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Here we have the hindrances to faith of worry and wealth pursuit. And Jesus points out to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, we looked at this a long time ago, he points out in Matthew chapter 6 that both of those have their root in the same place. Namely, the question of who or what we serve in life. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And actually, the term is broader there than just money. It's... It's the things of this earth, okay? What the old King James called mammon, okay? It's the possessions, okay? So Jesus is saying, you got a choice here. You either serve God or you serve your possessions. And serving possessions looks like this. It looks like worry and the pursuit of wealth. So he goes on to say, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you shall put on. The worry, okay? If you're serving possessions, you're going to be worried. That's what he's saying. You're going to be worried about having enough, worried about losing what you've got. And so Jesus says to the believers, you don't need to do that, okay? Because you're not serving your possessions. You're serving your heavenly father, and he's going to take care of you. He takes care of the birds, the flowers. He'll take care of you. That's what he says. The Gentiles seek after all these things of the world, he's saying. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. You don't have to worry about earthly possessions, about, about providing for yourself, because your Lord will provide for you as your pursuit his kingdom above all. Paul tells us, gives us the opposite of those burdens of worry and wealth pursuit in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
You want to be well off? Here's how to be well off. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, Paul's not saying that there's something inherently sinful in being well off in a material sense. He is saying we need to take care that our possessions don't possess us and become a source of pride in the focus of our hopes. So he says this. He says, Timothy, say this to people who are rich in this present age, and that would include us. You know, we're, we're the wealthy part of the world. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud. One of the things possessions can do for us is make us pride, prideful. Guard against that. Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. See, there's another temptation of possessions is for you to put your confidence in them. You're trusting in your retirement. You're trusting in your property. Instead, set your hopes, he says, on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He's the one that gave you all that. He's going to provide for you. So, he sums up, say to these people who are well-off, who have material well-being, they are to do good, to be rich in good works. Okay. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Clinging to possessions is trying to find your life here. Paul's saying, don't try to find your life here. You'll be sadly disappointed. Get rich by giving. You'll get rich in doing good works. You'll get rich in being generous. It's exactly the opposite of the way, the way of the world, isn't it? You get rich through what you give away. Well, those are the things to, to guard against, but let's quickly look at the fourth kind of soil, which is in contrast with the first three. We've sort of given three ways to go wrong. Here's the way to go right. It's this soil that the farmer hopes in. Verse 8, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is a bountiful harvest. I'm tempted to think that maybe Jesus is thinking of the Old Testament story of, of Isaac, when he's experiencing all kinds of adversity from the people around him, and God gives him a crop that is a hundredfold. So I, I, I wonder if that, that narrative from the Old Testament is in his mind. But uh, whatever, whatever illustrations might have been there, he, he's saying there's a, there's a fruitfulness to this ground. This is an image for those who understand God's word unlike that evil generation that he describes in, or earlier in the passage from the, from the book of Isaiah. They understand. Let's, let's grab that for just a moment. There is a content 
to true faith. There's a content to the truth. Uh, we're not to just rely on our emotions, in other words, okay, or our circumstances. Uh, there's a lot of that out there in our culture, okay? You can find all kinds of wall hangings and everything promoting the idea of faith. Just believe, okay? Uh, in fact, I think there's a movie, Believe, okay? The, the, uh, the idea being, well, if you believe in something, doesn't matter what you believe. It does matter. It matters greatly. There has to be a content to this understanding. So it's the one who hears the word and understands it. Do you have a grasp of the essentials of the faith? Can you explain your faith to someone else? Well, study. Be able to, to do that. It's with your mind that you see the reasonableness of the gospel. Okay? When Jesus says, repent, okay, and you understand what he's saying as, as pointing to your sin, you realize it is eminently reasonable for you to repent of your sin because you're guilty and because you're under the wrath of God. So, so you receive the content of the faith in that, in that regard. It's with your mind that you understand your sin must be atoned for, must be covered over before God, and you must be cleansed of that sin. So, so be sure you've got that content of the faith. Now, it doesn't mean you understand everything. Okay, it doesn't mean you've got all the answers. That the nature of Christian understanding is that it is always growing. Okay, don't, don't succumb to the idea that, that you sort of reach a plateau and you don't have to learn anymore. I, I had one, lady, one poor lady. She said, we, we don't need Bible study. and we, we had that in Sunday school when we were kids. And I thought to myself, you're not, even on, you're not even step one yet. You've not even heard the gospel yet, if you think that. The, the nature of Christian understanding is it's always growing because it involves a personal relationship. It, having faith in Christ is being in personal relationship with him. And you know from your own experience... You maintain a personal relationship with someone by growing and understanding them. If, if your relationship with that person does not grow, it will not last. Well, your Christian understanding is going to grow because you're in personal relationship with the triune God. You, you know Jesus as the Lord of your life. You know the Father as your heavenly Father. You know the Spirit as the one who, who indwells you and enables you to be obedient. All those are personal relationships. And so your understanding is going to grow. Jesus explains this to his disciples and, and says that you're going to produce fruit. Remember, that's the mark distinguishing the soils, really. It is the one kind of soil produces fruit. And, and how does Jesus say, tell his disciples they're going to produce that fruit? Does he say you, you just put out all the effort yourself? It's all up to you. If you produce enough fruit, then I'll count you. No, he doesn't. John chapter 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is 
that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And he goes on to say that in your fruit bearing, you bring glory to God. We, we could say that, that this is the opposite of the pattern of the hard-packed soil, which represented people that are disinterested in the word. Uh, the, the condition that Jesus is describing here is, is those who are truly united with Christ by faith and they delight in his word. Uh, think, for example, of the, the image in Psalm 1 of the, of the man who's blessed because his roots are in the soil of God's word. His delight is in the law of the word, law of the Lord. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Uh, the fruit-bearing soil represents those who persevere in tribulation and persecution. And, and we could look at a number of passages there. It is, it is, in summary, Jesus is saying, as you walk with me, I will enable you to produce faith, to produce fruit, to produce things that will glorify me. And so Paul sums it up this way. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to contrast the works of the flesh, that is your sinful tendencies, with the fruit of the Spirit. Notice, by the way, the difference in the images, that the, the product of sin is work, the product of faith is fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're, you're neither too young or too old, too old to be a fruit-bearing soil. Proverbs 20.11, even a child makes himself known by his work, acts, whether, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. You young people, you children, can bear fruit for Christ every day. And those of us who are older are not left out either. Psalm 92, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Those who have ears and hear bear fruit. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to do that this week. Holy Father, we're so grateful for your word. Uh, thank you for giving us minds that can understand it. Thank you for speaking to us in human speech and giving us your Holy Spirit so we can understand it. And we do pray you would continue that work in our hearts and lives. I pray that you would continue it in, in the lives of young people here, that at an early age, they, they would know the, the blessing, the wonder of, of learning your word. Encourage them in that, Lord. Give them a joy in memorizing and and meditating on scripture and those of us who are older lord to keep us keep us appreciating the freshness and the vitality the life that your word has and and seeking to look for ways and in, in which we can live it out from day to day and we'll certainly give you all the glory and praise for that in jesus name amen